Hey, North Point, welcome to our service today. Uh, if you haven't met me before, my name's Spencer. I'm uh, really glad that you're joining us today, and I'd love to be able to meet you for the first time in our Zoom call that we'll have afterwards. We're kind of calling it a bit of a Zoom lobby, and there will be details for that at the end of service. Uh, last week, Pastor Tim kicked off our inaugural series of 2021, and we are calling it A Place to Lead. Uh, I'm really excited to be able to go through this series. As you can imagine, it has something to do with leadership. And leadership is always something that I found very interesting. Maybe in part it's because no matter where you look, you see leaders, leadership, and things involved with that. Uh, it doesn't matter how old or young you are, or what kind of work position you're in, what family unit uh, you might be a part of. We see leadership everywhere or what we might say, a lack of leadership even sometimes, that is in and of itself uh, a form of leadership, right? Uh, when I was at Ambrose, I took a class on leadership. It kind of tied in with my uh, student council and um, uh, youth conference involvement there. It was very interesting. And it opened my, my eyes to a different type of leadership that I'd known about, but I'd never really heard defined before. And I'm gonna tell you about that in a second. Uh, really in general, when we think about uh, who a leader is, someone that's in charge, right? They have some degree of authority. And indeed, that, that obviously is the case a lot of the time. But leadership does go far beyond that as well. Um, there have been countless books written on uh, leadership and what it looks like to uh, be a leader, whether you have a position of authority or not. Uh, one well-known pastor and author, John Maxwell, he words it simply like this, leadership is influence. Uh, another pastor, Clay, uh, pardon me, another pastor, Clay Scroggins of North Point Community Church in the South, uh, he wrote a book about leveraging our influence when we lack authority. It was a very good book. Uh, in university, in the same class that I'd mentioned before, I read an excellent article by a man named Jim Laub, and he defines leadership this way, as an intentional change process through which leaders and followers, joined by a shared purpose, initiate action to pursue a common vision. I wanna say that one more time, I know it's really wordy perhaps, but I think it's excellent. He defines leadership as an intentional change process through which leaders and followers, joined by a shared purpose, initiate action to pursue a common vision. In our world, we see this definition in action with both positive and negative implications, to be sure. But in scripture, the biblical narrative points to a particular way of leading that God has created us to follow, which is often defined in leadership circles as servant leadership. Again, Jim Laub says this, servant leadership is an understanding and practice of leadership that places the good of those led over the self-interest of the leader. He explains that servant leadership is not a style of leadership, but a mindset of leadership that affects the vision a leader sets out and the way leaders and followers interact in that process of acting out, carrying out the vision. 
It affects the mindset and it affects the way that leaders and followers interact together. We see glimmers of this through people like Abraham, like Moses, like David, as God guides them and leads them in the way that they are to follow. But ultimately, we see this perfected in Jesus. We see a perfect model of this uh, and the way that God has created us to be leading right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden as he has commanded us to have dominion over, to steward, to take care of the world that he has placed us in. We see God call Moses into a journey of servant leadership here at the start of our series as we go into chapter 3 here. And so let's take some time now in Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 to 15. Let's turn there in our Bibles now and we will read together. Starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me 
from generation to generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your words to Moses and that we can be reading them here today together. Bless us in our time here together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, that was, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, a bit of a longer passage and you can tell I maybe not quite used to reading that much. There are a couple interesting notes about this passage that I'd like to mention. Uh, first, the mountain Moses is at here is Horeb, which seems to be another name for Mount Sinai. Horeb means something like dryness or parched place. <clears throat> Pardon me, its other name, Sinai, likely comes from a play on words with the Hebrew word Sena, which means bush. So it makes sense that these two mountains, Sinai, Horeb, would be indeed the same mountain. Speaking of the bush, scholar Robert Alter notes in his commentary of Exodus that deities were often identified with trees in the ancient Near East, pardon me, which is interesting, but not so much bushes. Uh, nevertheless, God's appearance uh, as fire in this bush is uh, likely worth noting. Still right, uh, was still indeed in some sort of a tree-like thing. You can put it in the comment section. What, what is the word that I'm looking for here? Plant? Vegetation? I don't know. But it wasn't a mistake. Nothing God does is a mistake, right? Uh, perhaps this symbolizes God identifying himself as the God of an oppressed people, people in the Israelites being enslaved in Egypt. Uh, as I read this here and as we read this together as Christians, we can definitely see how uh, this uh, reminds us today of God's incarnation later on as a humble human, Jesus in the flesh, willing to defy expectation to save his creation in the same way that it wouldn't have been expected for a deity to present uh, themselves in a bush rather than a tree. Going on with the bush more, it's interesting how uh, the bush uh, is first identified as having an angel of the Lord present there, or the Lord's messenger in other translations. But then shortly after that, we read that it is the Lord himself speaking through the bush. Many have wondered if this is not just an angel, but is actually a revelation of Christ pre-incarnate that we're reading here. Of course, they wouldn't have understood that then, but we do now. Either way, this is a visible manifestation of God himself that Moses in, encounters without question. And as Moses starts to realize what's going on, he becomes afraid. Uh, we think about the shepherds, we think about Joseph uh, in our uh, previous uh, series as they encountered the angels, encountering the Lord himself here. Of course, Moses becomes afraid. But then his sense of inadequacy, and, wow, wow, his sense of inadequacy starts to show as he realizes the task God is placing before him. I want us to think about that for a moment. Uh, let's think about a time that we didn't feel pre prepared for a task ahead of us. Obviously, it'll probably be a different task that comes to mind than leading a people out of slavery, but nevertheless, roll with me here. What's a time that you suddenly felt unprepared for a task or situation that that lay ahead of you. One time that sticks up for me was a particular summer working out at Bible camp. Uh, I've mentioned this summer before. Uh, I'd mentioned how we were uh, new and in young, uh, we were young and in new roles. 
Uh, I mentioned how there were difficult things that happened in this situation. Uh, but one thing that I didn't mention uh, for sake of time at that point is that none of us actually went out to camp expecting to enter into the roles that we ended up having. Uh, at that point, I'd had two great years as a junior cabin leader out at that camp. It was awesome. Loved the senior staff that I got to work with and the directors and all of that. It was great. I was looking forward to one more year as junior staff and then I would become a senior cabin leader and maybe if you've done camp ministry before, just put up a little hand in the comment section or just say something about your camp experience. I love camp. If you want to know more about this camp or others, I would love to help, uh, I'd love to tell you more and I'd love to get you plugged into a camp. Uh, Lord willing, those will be able to run again this summer. Uh, but this camp uh, was great. I'd had lots of great experiences there. I was expecting the same thing this coming year but then we we get out to camp and we realize for one reason or another none of the previous year's staff uh, were going to be able to return uh, and in fact we realized that there weren't really any senior staff that had applied and we had new directors they were great uh, there were a couple people who had just graduated of high school and so of course they were kind of of age to be in these roles but there were only two of them and that was it and so then the oldest junior counselors that were out there, we realized we were going to have to step into some of these senior roles. And so kind of I went from this excitement of, oh, yeah, I get to do this thing that I've done before to I have no clue what I'm doing. I am looking forward to or trying to with dread figure out how to be a senior cabin leader, not just a junior leading, uh, following along with my senior leader. But I also was directing the first week of that camp. And I swear we got out to camp with like, I don't know, three, four days to prepare. It was insane. And get this, if if you're younger, if you're in high school, junior high, and you're watching kids, I didn't have the internet to prepare. It was crazy. This is in 2006. The internet, yes, did exist, but we did not have internet out of the camp. And so talk about feeling unprepared. <laughs> Imagine having to do that without internet these days, right? Of course, we made it work. But what's the situation for you, right? What are the things that are coming to mind for you right now? And if you want to, feel free to drop a, drop a little comment about what that is in the comment section. It'd be great for us to hear each other's stories. Maybe you, the thing that comes to mind for you is you're starting a new grade at school. Uh, maybe you started your new dream job and that's the image that comes to mind. Maybe it's you're buying your first home. Maybe it's starting a new journey as parents. Whatever it was, the feeling was perhaps exciting, uh, perhaps it was terrifying, likely it was some sort of mixture of both and something far, far more than that as well. Now let's turn to Moses again and think about what he might have been going through in this passage because not only did he have this daunting task that he was being called into, but it wasn't just any old task. If you know the story of Exodus and the previous chapter, it outlines kind of Moses' birth and uh, his not just his his uh, birth into an average family, but his uh, being floated down the Nile, saved by Pharaoh's daughter, and taken into the household of Pharaoh and being raised as royalty. He had everything, but he also knew he was an Israelite. And at this point in his life, he was starting to develop some of these leadership characteristics that God had gifted him with. 
and he saw an injustice that he didn't deem as okay. But the problem is, in seeing this injustice, he himself commits an unjust act in murdering the Egyptian. Not only did Pharaoh want Moses dead for this, but Moses had also lost credibility in the eyes of the Israelite people for doing this act. A Hebrew man says this to Moses in chapter 2, verse 14. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Perhaps foreshadowing what God now is calling him to in chapter 3. And now Moses, in this chapter we're reading now, he's speaking directly to God. He's being told to lead these same people out of a land that he fled and was exiled from. We'll talk more about the imperfections of Moses next week, but today I want us to cut him a little bit of slack because I know if I, w- if I was in his shoes, I'd probably have some fear and some questions too. And if I was in his shoes in this situation, I'd know I'd done something wrong because God just told me to take my sandals off and I better take the sandals off. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. It didn't land. Also, I think I'm leaving in all of my bloopers this time. If you're hearing this, and obviously I am, maybe foreshadowing next week's series about imperfections. Anyway, God is telling Moses he'll be with him on the journey ahead. He can trust this. But it's important to note that not only would God be on the journey ahead with him, but God had already been with him as he prepared Moses for this moment. Up to this point, we've seen leadership ability in Moses. Uh, he, we see that he's wired with these gifts, but that they're also unrefined, right? We see his passion for justice, but he loses his temper rather easily. Not a good mix, right? We see his, selfish compass- uh, his selfless compassion, though, later on. And that's evidence not just by him driving away the shepherds at the well early in chapter 2, or uh, sorry, later on in chapter 2, rather. Uh, he's doing this for Jethro's daughters. But he also draws water for them as well. Quite a selfless act, especially given the context of what was going on there. And through the next 40 years, God continues to refine these abilities in Moses. And there's four ways that we can see uh, as well that God is preparing Moses for uh, the task he had before him. Uh, The first of these is uh, through Moses' experience in the wilderness. Quite practically, God prepared Moses to lead the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years by having him first live in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, He gained an understanding of the land and how to be able to survive in that kind of an environment. But even more than that, he learned to identify with the Israelites. He learned to identify with them more in their alienation and in their suffering under the Egyptians. Moses was also prepared by God through the family dynamic that he was placed in. Not only did he become a husband, but he also became a father in that time. As a husband, he learned how to love and serve his wife. As a father, he learned how to care for and instruct his son. His father-in-law is also described as a priest, and so he learned how uh, to navigate that relationship, and he likely would have had some sort of spiritual instruction that was present in their relationship and in their family dynamic as well. Uh, We see God preparing Moses uh, thirdly through his work situation. Uh, Jethro taught him how to be a shepherd and gave Moses uh, charge of tending the flock. And that's kind of where we find him in chapter three as well, right? 
uh, a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, I preached on the shepherds in the context of the, uh, the story of the shepherds, uh, the angel coming to the shepherds and them going and seeing Jesus. I talked a little bit about how it wasn't really a prestigious uh, role, occupation at that time. And if you rewind uh, several hundred years to this point, it, the, that's still true. This isn't something that Moses would have necessarily been jumping for joy about, and yet it was what was given to him. He would have respected it, I'm sure, but it was something that really prepared him for what God is calling him into as well, right? Tending sheep, feeding sheep, defending his flock and rescuing them at times, all would have prepared him to do the same for God's flock, Israel. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, Moses learned through his failure, and he learned how to experience the other side of failure and be at peace with it. None of us like failure, but experiencing failure can be so good for us. It helps us build resiliency. It teaches us things that we never would have learned otherwise about ourselves, others, and the world. It humbles us. It reminds us of our own finite abilities. And it gives us compassion for others when we don't quite get it right either. And most importantly, as author James Boyce writes, God can teach us through the failure of our own plans that he is capable of working for us and in us and in spite of us. Only after we fail do we become aware that it is God and not ourselves who is working. It's humbling but also freeing when we get to those points as well, isn't it? God uses Moses' failure to build his resiliency, his ability to rely on God's provision rather than his own strength. And as God prepared Moses in these ways, uh, he wouldn't have known that God was up to these things, right? He wouldn't have pictured that he himself would be a key figure in God's redemption of humanity, really. As we look through the entire biblical narrative, Moses is an incredibly important figure in that story. And those he would end up leading likely wouldn't have pictured that it would be Moses doing so. And they would have wondered if God, in that moment prior to Moses coming, if, he'd, if God rather had abandoned them or if he'd ever even heard their cries. But we know God hadn't forgotten them. He prepared Moses and others so that at the best time, at his ordained time, his plan to lead the Israelites out of Egypt would move forward. I think it's important for us to remember right now that God is doing the same for our church, for North Point, right now. He's preparing someone to lead our church family in the coming days. We don't know who that is, which is a little unnerving, isn't it? Exciting, but unnerving, of course. They might exactly fit the picture of what we think, what you think North Point needs. This person might come and you might be like, yes, I knew it. Or they might not fit that picture one bit. It's true. Right? Moses certainly didn't fit the picture of what the Israelites thought they needed. That is very clear as we read further on in Scripture. We know that the same is true of Jesus. He did not fit the picture of what the nation of Israel thought that they needed to be rescued by. 
But let's remember God's words in 1 Samuel 16, 7, where he says, as he's talking to the prophet Samuel, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If we place our trust in God, and if we allow the Spirit to guide our search processes, I know we will. We can trust that God will bring a person he's prepared for this moment because ultimately we know God is the one who leads. And you know, God wants to do the same for each of us right now too. He wants to be preparing us to lead. I'm thinking, yes, about North Point's future, but just even beyond that as well. Let's think about that for a moment. You might not see yourself as a leader, but follow this. If leadership is influence, and if we all have the ability to exert influence on others, maybe we're good at it, maybe we're bad at it, but we all have the ability to exert influence on one another, then we all should have an ability to lead. Doesn't mean we're always good at it, but it's like a muscle. If we work on it and exercise it, indeed we can all lead. We won't lead in the same way, nor should we. And we all don't need to have the title of a leader either. The only title we really need is that of an adopted daughter and son of the Most High. God himself gives us the authority to lead as servant leaders because that's a part of being a disciple, isn't it? God calls us to make disciples of all nations. That's influence. He calls us to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's leadership right there. In calling us to imitate Christ in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value one another above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of others. That right there is servant leadership in a nutshell. And it's what we're called to do. God is not just calling us, but he's inviting us to do this. He's inviting us to invite others into the journey. And he's preparing us through the perfecting love of Jesus. But God has a journey for us to go on as he prepares us in this, right? In the same way that he took 40 years to prepare Moses for a particular task ahead of him, God takes his time in preparing us as well and helping us to cultivate the soil of our lives so that we're ready for the task ahead of us. His preparation will happen through experiences and circumstances, to be sure. But our preparation as Christians is always rooted in our call to follow Jesus. God prepares us through increasing our intimacy with him in prayer, worship, reading his word. He prepares us through increasing uh, our increasing service to him as faithful stewards of what he's entrusted to, entrusted to us, whether it's big or small. It's our faithful stewardship that he uses to prepare us. He prepares us through community as we... Uh, as we submit to one another, as we fight the individualism of our hearts and of our culture, and as we experience God's grace through one another. God is preparing a leader for North Point. God is preparing us to lead. God is preparing those who abide in him to go in the name of Jesus 
God has plans to do this with you and me, with all of us, with North Point as a community. We don't know what the journey is going to bring, but we can trust God in the midst of it. We can trust that whatever he brings is going to be good, and it's going to bring life, and it's going to bring glory to his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this really gets me amped up. I'm very excited about what you have in store for North Point. I'm excited about every individual, every family that you have brought into the community of North Point. This is a weird time to be sure. It's a time that's probably bringing up lots of questions for us. And yet in the midst of those questions, we can trust the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ. We can trust that you have a plan of making your name lifted high through the community of North Point. You have a plan of using our community, of partnering with our community, of breathing life into the different things that we might be doing in bringing us together in cool new ways. It might feel so weird in the sense that we don't, we don't have a lead pastor right now. We don't have a regular space or time that we're able to meet physically together. And yet, God, we can trust you. We know that you have this all in your plans. You might not want this to be happening right now, but you are going to bring good from this without question. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow your lead and help us to understand what it means for us to be leading as well in this situation with one another in our community and helping serve you in our community right now and helping bring your love and your name, your gospel to those who are around us. Father, thank you. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, North Point.